Well, turn, if you would, um, with me to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. And let's all stand together as you find your place there. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. We'll read through verse 10 this morning. Titled the message, Light Makes All the Difference. You know, all of us this morning enjoy physical light. We're the benefits. We're here, we see each other, we enjoy each other in the presence of light. But spiritually, it's important for us to understand the significance and the benefit as well. And so this passage of Scripture, these verses, help us understand the benefit of light. Light makes all the difference. Let's begin reading 1 John 1, beginning in verse 5. It says, This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us." Let's look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Lord, I thank You for this passage of Scripture. Lord, I thank You for who You are. Lord, we've sung about Your strength, Your power, Your goodness this morning, our need of You. This morning as we look at this passage, I pray that we just reflect our own lives, where we're at in our relationship with You. Lord, are we experience the blessing and the benefit that You want to provide for us. I pray that You just take this truth from Scripture, help us to apply it to our hearts. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. The book of 1 John is a pastoral epistle. John pastored, he started and pastored the church of Ephesus. So this, this church was dear to his heart. It was significant to him. You can sense as you read the book of 1 John, his love for these people. The church that he wrote about during his imprisonment on the Isle of Patmos in, in Revelations 2 verse 4, he talked about the church of Ephesus. He said this, Nevertheless, though, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. So here John is, he started this church, he pastored this church, he deeply loved and cared about this church, but he understood there were certain things that they had lost, and, and that was specifically their first love, the intensity, the desire, the relationship that they had enjoyed, that they had experienced, that they would come to know it wasn't there anymore. And so John begins this book by stating his purpose in writing the letter. He said that your joy might be full. John wanted these, these people at Ephesus to experience the fullness of joy that the Christian life had to offer. These were second and third generation Christians. This, they, had, they had grown up. They had become accustomed to. They had become familiar with. Their parents saw Paul come into town and preach. The whole town of Ephesus was in an uproar because of, because of Paul and, and the effect, the revival that was taking place. But like anything else, the new wears off in time. It's like a new car. We enjoy it. It's beautiful. But eventually that smell is gone, and it gets a scratch, it gets a ding. The new car smell fades, the shine wears off, and spiritually the church of Ephesus was walking around in the dark. They were saved, but they weren't sanctified. Because of this, the 
calling of Christianity was not a cross for them to bear joyfully, but it had become a burden that was hard for them to bear. And John saw this. It broke his heart. He understood this, and he wanted to challenge them to go back to this relationship that he enjoyed with God. And he uses the analogy of light. I remember as a kid coming home from church on a Sunday night. I was 12 years old. We had moved to South Tulsa, went home to this house. And when we got there, the door was open. Well, we knew we hadn't left the door open. My dad's careful. We have a deadbolt. We were careful to lock the door. Door was open. Well, someone, and we thought maybe it was a neighbor, maybe a drug dealer down the street, someone we suspected, devious, deviant, had put a shoulder through the door. And here we are, we call the police, the police come out, they go through the house, everything's fine, only a couple minor things were missing, no major damage. But the feeling that you're left with, that someone just broke into my house, someone just went through these drawers, someone stole something that was mine, that was ours, it just leaves you feeling violated. It feels, it's just a terrible feeling. And here we are, and we're talking to the policeman and talking about what had happened. And the policeman explained to us that the number one deterrent to theft, break-in, robbery, is light. If you don't want someone to break, to break into your house, make it less attractive than the person next door. And you can do that by lighting the place up. So if you go down to my dad's house near 91st Memorial today, there are floodlights all around the house. <laughs> There's a bank of switches, and you can just flip them on one at a time. Why? We understood. And we don't want that to happen. Light protects us physically. But God offers us that same protection spiritually. God wants to protect us from the destructive power of sin. Satan is a thief. What does he come to do? Steal and to destroy. That's Satan's objective through sin and its destructive effects. But the presence of light is a protection that we need. So the first thing we see in this passage, we see an introduction to the light. It says, This then is the message that we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. Light brings everything to life. Without it, we're wandering around in the dark. Things can't grow. Everything changes before our eyes in the presence of light. All of us here have witnessed the beauty of a sunrise or a sunset. We've all enjoyed it. For our family, when it comes to vacations, we often visit national parks. And a lot of times it's parks out west. And you think of all the parks in Arizona and Utah, Many of them have sandstone formations. Parks like Arches, Zion, Bryce, Horseshoe Bend, Grand Canyon, the list could go on. Of all these parks, and the sun has an amazing effect. The sunrise, the sunset. Part of vacations for me, I enjoy taking pictures. And at our 10th anniversary here at the church, our adult Bible class bought us a nice camera. 20th anniversary here at the church, the church gave us an, a nice digital camera. And on vacation, that's a time I enjoy just getting up really early, going out, um, looking for wildlife, watching the sunrise, just spending time together enjoying nature, enjoying creation. I have a picture in the wall, on my wall in my office um, in Wyoming of the Teton Mountains just outside of Jackson, Wyoming. And I took that picture as the sun was coming up. And just the contrast is beautiful what light does in nature. 
Many of the parks you visit, they'll have a sunrise point or a sunset point. And it's not the place where you can see the sunrise first or the sunset last, but it's a place where that beauty is highlighted. As the sun comes up, it reflects on the rocks, on the formations, on, on the scenery, on the, on the landscape. As the sun sets, it does the same. This past summer, we ended our family vacation stopping at the Grand Canyon. It was our final stop, and we were there that day. But we wanted to take in the sunset, and I'm sure many here have taken in sunrises and sunsets, the Grand Canyon, but we wanted to take in the sunset. So we read through guidebooks, look on sites, find the place. We have the place we want to go. And so we leave while the sun is still up. We leave early, long before it sets, and we find our spot. You know, we don't want someone to crowd us out there on that front row view of the sunset. So we get there early. We've got cameras. We've got tripods. Isaac and Ian get bored. They wander off and go find other things to see while we sit there and guard our spot as the sun begins to set. And through the lens of a camera, you take a picture and you see the, the light and the changing effects. And we sat there. We were there a couple hours just enjoying nature, enjoying creation, enjoying the power, the impact of light. As the sun went down, it casts the shadows all the way till a time when the sun is all the way down and the light is diminishing. The beauty, the light, everything is changing. The landscape, it's so beautiful. Because of this light, we spend time focusing on God's creation and that beauty. But this tell, passage tells us God is light. God is beautiful. God is wonderful. God is someone for us to observe, to spend time with, to get close to. What's God saying when He's saying, I am light? He's saying, I'm open for inspection. You think about a guy. I personally enjoy working on cars. I don't do all the work on my car, but I'll change the oil, I'll change the brakes, and I'll try some other things and give up and take it to the mechanic, but I do enjoy working on a car. Well, there's one thing about working on a car, you can't do it without light. You have to have a light, you can't get far. I can change the oil on my car at night with very little light, but beyond that, it requires light. I have to be able to inspect, I have to be able to see what I'm doing, I have to be acquainted with it, I have to be able to know it. Um, God is open for inspection. You, have you ever tried or thought about buying a car at night? Has anyone here bought a car at night and then inspected it in the light and found out it wasn't the same car you thought and negotiated for? No, we want light. We need light to be able to see things clearly, to inspect things. We need light. That's why when God says He is light, He's open for inspection. Ladies, I wouldn't know a lot about this. I just know when ladies go to put on makeup, they get in a mirror and they want light and they want it a certain way. I'm an electrician, so I light mirrors up on occasion. For people who want, a lady wants, if you're putting on makeup, you need that light. You want that light. God's saying He's willing to share Himself with us. Every part of who He is, every single detail, His character, His love, His personality, He's willing to share Himself with us. He's willing to expose Himself to us, and we need Him. We need His light. We can't function. We can't operate. We can't be successful without it. God desires this relationship with us. It's best described by light. It says that there's no darkness. Darkness and light can't exist. They can't coexist. 
There's an absolute separation. Hell is described as a place of outer darkness, total separation from God. It's absolute. When we think, it's easy for us to just think, well, God's willing to overlook this sin or that sin. But when we admit sin in our lives, what are we doing? We're admitting darkness. And, and to the extent we're admitting darkness, we're dismissing God. We're trading God's warmth, His beauty, His grace, His peace for our ignorance, for pain, for death. Things that dominate the dark. When we trade sin for His grace. The light is revealing. It's warm. Darkness is cold. It's destructive. Our sin hides and it's obscures. Light reveals. So we see there's an introduction of light. Who's God? He's open for relationship with us. There's, and there's an invitation in verse 6 and 7. It says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, but we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. The invitation here is to walk in the light. That's an invitation we face as Christians moment by moment, day by day. It's an invitation to the warmth of God's family expressed by the energy produced with light. We're to enjoy the time we have with the Lord. The time we have with other Christians. That's the fellowship that's being expressed here. The great command for us as Christians is to love God and to love our brothers. And for us this morning, we have to do an invitation. We have to accept an invi that invitation to do either. To love God, to love our neighbors, to spend time in fellowship. That invitation's always open. What do we tell our kids? You're raising kids, you tell them, be careful who you spend time with, right? Everyone who has kids is concerned with who their kids hang out with because we know we'll become like those we spend time with. There's a spectrum of light here that Christ is communicating in this passage. In the passage, in the verse we just read, it says, God is light on this end of the spectrum. And in Him is no darkness at all. For us, they're Christians. As Christians, we've accepted His invitation. We've accepted His salvation. We've accepted His call. And accepting His call, that's a call to light. But that's also a daily decision. On a daily basis, we can turn our back on, on Christ and we can, we, can, we can accept and follow our sin nature. And what is that? There's Christians who are rejecting that call, rejecting that invitation, and moving toward the darkness. And then there are the loss that we encounter on a daily basis. The people who you spend time with at work, the, the people who you're around as, as you go to school and as you, as you live your life, they're living and existing in darkness. They haven't accepted that invitation to the light. And you and I, the Bible says here, we're to fellowship with light. We're to fellowship in the light. And it says, as we fellowship in the light, we're cleansed from all sin. We're cleansed from the sinful nature. And we undergo that process of sanctification. The Greek word here, katharizin, is, it is referring to ceremonial cleansing. And the Jews were familiar with ceremonial cleansing. It was required for worship. But this cleansing 
that Christ does at salvation is a cleansing that's a part of our life. The Holy Spirit, His grace in us, it atones for our sin. It equips us to live a victorious life. And as Christians, we're called to experience this cleansing on a daily basis. It's to be part of our life. It's to be who we are. We're to walk in the light. There's a warm invitation here. We're to fellowship in the light. Just as light is needed for physical growth in plants, it's needed for spiritual growth in our lives. And growth requires fellowship. It requires cross-pollination. If you want to grow as a Christian, come to church. Fellowship with people who desire to grow. We say often here it takes three to thrive. That's about fellowship. That's about walking in light. That's about the fellowship of being with other Christians that are walking in light. This is an invitation to the dinner table with God. You know, it's easy to become content surviving spiritually on crumbs. And we can survive with low levels of light. And we can become content but that's not where Christ wants us to exist. We can still attend church regularly and in our personal lives we leave here and, and we can refuse to walk in the light. Ask yourself the question, what keeps me spiritually in the dark? So then the last part of this passage, I see a dangerous isolation in verse 8. It says, if you say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. This isolation, sin, keeps us from the light. We'll always battle sin, every single one of us. We won't go through a single day without battling sin. That's part of life. And, and Scripture tells us here we're to confess our sin so Christ can forgive us, so that relationship can be restored, so the relationship can be whole, so the fellowship can be sweet. We don't have that separation there. The light keeps us from sin. Sin keeps us from the light. The Bible keeps us from sin, and sin keeps us from the Bible. When you think of the sunset. The differing levels of light are imperceptible in the moment. But over time, the change is significant. And sin in our life is the same way. We might um, prefer light, but it doesn't take too long to teach ourselves how to function in darkness. I, I think back as a kid how scared I was of the dark. And uh, my job, going back to my home life, um, was to take out the trash. Always had that job as long as I lived in my parents' house. My job was to take out the trash every single day. But it would never fail that my dad would find that I had not taken out the trash after it was already dark. Eight or nine o'clock at night, he would go to his room. Somewhere in the house, he'd see the trash has not been taken out. And why I didn't take out the trash, I'll never know. Because I was terribly afraid of the dark. The crazy thing is, we lived just across the street here at the time. And from the side door of the garage where the light was on, to the trash can was two steps, right there at the edge of the porch. But in those two steps, there were some amazing, scary things that could happen in my mind. And I'd stand at the, at the edge with my trash in hand, trying to figure out how to get that lid off and get the trash in the can as quick as I could, because I was in trash in, lid down back inside, 
just as quick as I possibly could. Why? I was just terrified of the dark. Well, as I got to be a little bit older, 18, 19, I was working away from home, still scared of the dark, still a kid inside, like all of us. But I worked in this huge building, and at night I'd be alone and I had to close this building down, a 526,000 square foot building. I had to go in there and close and lock this building up and walk around, and I was turning out lights and I was in the dark, just terrified. But it'll help you get over your fear of the dark when you have to walk in a 526,000 abandoned building uh, by yourself. So then I came to work at the church, and this building is big and gets scary. If you walked around at night, you know. But I had pretty well gotten over my fear of the dark, so it's more convenient just to walk around in the dark and get things done if you need to, versus going around having to turn lights off and on in every hallway, in every room. So I'll fly around this building, I know the building, until something moves. And you can hurt yourself really quick <laughs> when some's sitting in the middle of the hallway, someone's redecorated, someone left something out. Walking around in the dark becomes incredibly dangerous. When we operate in the dark spiritually, we're in a dangerous place. We're subjecting ourselves to incredible dangers. Ignorance is not always bliss. Darkness is incredibly destructive. You and I can get by for a while. We can survive. We can make it safely for a certain period of time. We can convince ourselves that it's okay. It will be okay, and we can exist like that. But isolation, this passage tells us, is incredibly destructive. There's a story that's told by Captain Red McDaniel. It's told about him carefully rapping on the walls of his cell at the Hanoi Hilton. He would tap, 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 tap. He was practicing a code. The camp code prisoners used to communicate with each other. He knew he had to be careful. His communist captors wanted to keep all of their American guests isolated and vulnerable. If a prisoner was caught communicating, they'd be tortured. And McDaniel had already been through that. As the days went on, McDaniel came to fear isolation far more than the threats of torture by his Viet Cong captors. The highlight of each day was being taken to the washroom where he managed to whisper briefly with two other Americans brought in at the same time. They told him about the camp code, an acrostic system that involved using a certain number of taps or other signals to spell out letters of the alphabet. McDaniel recognized the code as his lifeline, his only link with sanity. If a new prisoner couldn't learn the code and communicate with fellow Americans within 30 days of his arrival, he would gradually start to draw inward and deteriorate. The prisoner would slowly lose his will to live. He would stop eating, and as his, as his stomach became bloated, he would actually start to feel fat. Little by little, the prisoner would die alone as the strange predator, isolation, sucked his very life out of him. Physical isolation is destructive. It's suicide in many ways. But spiritual isolation is spiritual suicide. How easy 
is it to convince ourselves we can go it alone? We can do it by ourselves. But this passage of Scripture is teaching us that we can't. If we give in to our sin nature, our view of God is greatly diminished. If you and I desire to walk closer to God, we have to be willing to give up anything that invites that distance. Verse 10 says, confess our sins, He'll forgive us. Give it up. Invite that relationship, that closeness. The question we have to ask ourselves and we're forced to answer is, are we living in the light? Or this morning, are we hiding in the shadows? In 1 Peter 2 verse 9, just a couple pages over, it, it just explains, it says, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Christ has told us this is who we are. This is who our identity. We're to reflect who Christ is by living and existing in His presence, in light. We're to live. That should be our existence. And Satan is always trying to entice us to just keep hanging out in the dark like we're lost, like we're not saved. That's Satan's goal. That's the enticement. John is inviting this church family that he cares so much about for a family reunion. He's saying the lights are on. The warmth is inviting. I want you to be part of this wonderful fellowship with God and other Christians who are inviting this wonderful light into their life. I want that relationship to be dynamic. I want that relationship to be growing. I want that relationship to be important. I want that to be the most important part of your life, of who you are. I want that to identify you as a Christian. John is inviting this church family to this family reunion, to the light. In Exodus 34, in, in verse 29 and 30, we see Moses accepting this invitation to be with God, to be in His presence, to go up into Mount Sinai and to spend this time with Him. And, and when Moses came down from the mountain, what, did he, what was his countenance? The Bible says it, was, it shone. He was reflecting that light. He had been in the presence of God. He had, he had experienced Him in His fullness, and His countenance reflected it. This invitation that John is extending is an invitation of one-on-one -on -one time with God. The only way we'll reflect who He is is if we deepen, we develop and deepen our relationship with Him. God wants a personal relationship with every one of us. And He desires that for us. And He knows that with that relationship, we can experience His fullness. We can experience fullness of joy. We can experience the pleasures that He has for us and wants us to enjoy. How, we, how do you spend one-on-one -on -one time with God? A relationship can't thrive apart from one-on-one -on -one time. We know it. We experience it. As a husband and a wife, relationship can't, can't grow. It can't thrive without one-on-one -on -one time. With your friends, you want to get close to someone? The people you're closest to? the ones you've spent the most time with, one-on-one -on -one time. As parents, as your kids get older, what are you fighting for? One-on-one -on -one time. Because you know how important it is to relationship. For it to survive, you need one-on-one -on -one time. 
It's the most important part of any relationship. Time to hear from God. Time to talk to God. How do we grow? How do we develop? How do we deepen that one-on-one time with God? We do that through our prayer time. We do that through Bible reading. We do it through memorization and meditation. We have to grow in our devotion to God. If we want to grow naturally, our sin nature is going to take us toward the darkness. Over time, we can be comfortable. We can think this is all there is. But God's saying, no. Devote yourself to me. Commit to spend more time to me, with me. Commit to know me better. Commit to memorize my word, meditate on my word, spend time in prayer, talk to me, hear from me, understand who I am, grow in your relationship with other Christians who are living in this light. This morning, if you aren't already, devote yourself to the light. That's what the, relation, that's what the Christian life is all about. Grow in your one-on-one time with God. If you are devoted to the light, Continue to grow. Growth will come. It's the product. For all of us, it's important for us to experience the growth that comes with walking in the light. Let's all stand together.